Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. And we're back with Keep It. How was Cincinnati? Um, I don't know what Cincinnati is. Oh, okay. It's, it's the land that birthed me, so you better recognize. You know, please never mention a city from Ohio to me again. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Kara is from too many places. I know. I was I was actually born in Cincinnati, but my parents left soon after. It's like you're in salt. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Kings Island. I love that about Cincinnati. Uh, no, my trip was great. I had a lovely time. Um... You know, just chilling and not. We we podcasted without you. Yeah, I know. It was just Uh, fine. Yeah. um, What? But what do you have to say? You look like you have something to say. I got some thoughts about that. I'm gonna save it till later. Oh, (laughs) Oh, I wonder till which section. I can't wait. (laughs) But uh, it's sort of a sad day today too, because John Singleton uh, died at 51. I know he's so young. He had a stroke, and then um, his family chose to take him off of life support. You know what's also terribly painful about things like this is I obviously was always familiar with his movies and Boys in the Hood and Higher Learning and stuff. But then when somebody dies, you like then rediscover them as like an interviewee. You go and watch clips of them or whatever. What a like rad gentleman, like nice person, seemingly, you know, just I, I was it was fun to revisit how cool and smart he was. Yeah, he was also I'm going to I'm going to pull a Lewis, the youngest black person and the first to ever be nominated for a best directing Academy Award. Yeah, he was like in his mid 20s. Yeah, he was 24 when he also 24 when he directed Boys in the Hood. And like that movie, I mean, I anytime it's on TV, it's one of those movies. It's like Remember the Titans where you're like, I'm just watching the rest of this movie. But you see like. Lawrence Fishburne and Cuba Gooding Jr. and Neil Long and um, uh, Angela careers. Bassett. Yes. Like right. it was mm-hmm. like I go back Morris Chestnut. Like you look at that cast and it was like these are like babies. Mm-hmm. And he was a baby and he made this movie. And it's really just sort of like a testament to Hollywood's racism. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was at Cannes. Right. You know, and all of these actors were in this movie and they should literally be. Do in the know, pantheon of actors Lewis, right now who are getting constant awards. Who was he up against for the year Boys in the Hood? That's 1991, right? So he would have been up against uh, Jonathan Demme for Silence of the Lambs won that year. Mm, okay, mm. that's... I, I mean, mean... That was a classic. However... I think also um, I saw a lot of this on Twitter and I was really happy to see it like when that movie came out indie cinema was so dominated by white people so like a perspective like that you know in a a place that you didn't see on film often was like completely radical like a a moment in film that won't be replicated and I also want to shout out Rosewood which is a fantastic movie that people should watch Mm -hmm. it is about the lynching of a black man in the 1920s and like it's sort of based it's i mean 
it's based on a true story. It happened all over the place. Right. You know, like a city where like black people were prosperous and living their own lives. And then some white people came in and tried to kill them. Mm-hmm. But it has Ving Rhames in it who does the damn thing. And more people should be talking about that movie instead of Baby Boy, which is not a good movie. And I'm gonna, <laughs> um, he also I'm put that out there. Too Fast, Too Furious. Put which, some respect yes. on Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> but also for I a black director, a black director. I mean, I will say that uh, the Fast and the Furious movies, like, I don't run out and see them. But when you look back at, like, the pretty consistent diversity of the cast, which is why those damn movies make so much money. You got black mm-hmm. people, you got Latinos, you got Asian people. That's why That's why um, 15 million people roll up and go see these fucking movies. Globally. Like, around the world. Exactly. <laughs> that's what happened. Not to mention the happened. very straight hair of Jordana um, Brewster. <laughs> but then they've had, like, some directors, too, that are, like, not yeah. all white dudes. F. Gary Gray. Yeah. You know. Um, Who did the most, wasn't that the, the highest grossing one? Mm-hmm. F. Gary Gray's? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, John Singleton kicking it off. Yeah. Also, shout out to Twitter in about 2011 or 2012 when I swear to God, every night the movie Poetic Justice would just start trending because I guess it mm-hmm. would just always be on I don't know what channel. But like very important <laughs> movie if you want to know what uh, Janet Jackson sounds like saying the word Punani. <laughs> he also directed one of my uh, favorite episodes of Crime Story. Yeah. Yeah. The, oh, of course. The, the Johnny yeah. Cochran one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a really nice thread from uh, Brian Kopelman about uh, an episode of Billions he directed, too. Mm-hmm. That was just... Because then you were... Because I guess, too, I mean, he's obviously still been making movies, but maybe you're like, I don't know what he's been up to. And mm-hmm. then you hear a story like that. And it was like last year he was... And he talked about all the work that he put in and how prepared he was. And you're Four just Brothers. Like, Right. I saw that. I mean, abduction with Taylor Ooh. Lautner. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> about that. But it was nice to remember. You were like, oh, yeah. He yeah. was like, he wasn't, he was 51 years old. Mm-hmm. He was still directing. He mm-hmm. was still doing stuff. So it, it it's sadder. Yeah. Because, you know, you're like, oh, he was, he had not, it's not like he'd slowed down. It's not like we he had heard the last he from him. To yeah, do. exactly. Uh, I have not seen Billions. Uh, oh, you I've, don't watch Billions? I've seen Succession. I, feel, I felt like at the time, there, In last well, year, I only had time for one rich billions white family. Came out first. Billions came out first. I, you might like Billions. Okay. I like Succession. Yeah, Succession's so. great. It's it's different, though. It's not as much family stuff in okay. Billions. It's like him and Paul Giamatti. They're, they're men who yell a lot, which I did. It was like very rich white dudes yelling at each other a lot, which mm-hmm. I was like, do I, am I into this? But I call that Sorkinalia. Yes. It's in it's in that, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's not bad. And there's like some... Um, Felicia Rashad's daughter, whose name I'm forgetting, she's in it. Connell Rashad, yeah. Yeah, um, they got some, they got some stuff happening there. Can we revisit the movie Abduction for just one second? Is Sigourney Weaver in that movie? She... I feel like I picture her holding balloons for some reason. Anyway, I'm sorry, no. I'll, I'll drop this. Um, Maria Bello is in that movie. Oh, what movie am I thinking of? It's like her and Robert Pattinson or something. Anyway. Alien. <laughs> so you've got it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, working girl. Yes. <laughs> All right. We have a fantastic episode coming up. Miss Olivia Wilde is in the building. She is. To talk about her new film, Booksmart, which... What a romp. Loving it. Listen, I mean, it appeals to Kara because it has book in the title. (laughs) (laughs) And so close to the word smart. Uh Don't forget, we have a live show May 14th at the Regent Theater in Los Angeles. Go to cricket.com slash events for tickets. We'll be right back. You see, when you talk about celebrities, the celebrity bites back. 
I tried to make that work. I guess it's gifted to be able to put so much of the world into pre-existing memes, which is what you do. I'm happy for you. Thank you. I mean, you can talk about, you know, more tyranny and forces of nature, and I sure. will do what I do. <laughs> what by are the way, we talking about? By the way, Sigourney Weaver was in that movie I just checked. Moving on. Okay, whatever. Anyway, celebrities have been hot and bothered this week. Um <laughs> Going after critics for what they perceive to be slights and injustices against them. Literally everybody was getting Everyone into lost this. their mind. Lizzo, Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, Olivia Munn, Michael Che, who has always Michael lost Chase, his mind. Michael Che's a dick and always. He's an this. asshole. He's such an asshole. No, he's the new Lucille Ball. You're wrong. <laughs> like, he's not, not even, like, he's always complaining about shit where I'm like, you're not even... You're just like background noise of like, I'm a dick, I'm a dick, I'm a dick, I'm a dick. Right. So like getting his out of the way, he defended his castmate, Colin Jost, who always needs defending. You know, (laughs) I mean, an attractive, tall white man. I mean, I just I lay my jacket on a puddle for him. (laughs) Um, He was the topic of a op ed from Uproxx writer Stephen Hyden titled, Why Does Everyone Still Hate SNL's Colin Jost? And he wrote that Jost was a benign presence whose essential blandness precludes feeling one way or the other about his tenure on Weekend Update, or at worst, a smug hack who relies far too often on easy frat dude punchlines about porno movies and penis sizes. I kind of think that's a nice analysis. The, the other thing is, if you actually read the article, he kind of defends him. Yeah, right. He, like, is basically he at the, he's not talking shit about him. He's just genuinely wondering like, why people don't fuck with Colin Jones. Have that visceral reaction. Yeah. yeah. I ask that about Sam Smith all the time. He has some bobs. Anyway. To me, it, the worst one was, <laughs> are you going to hit with our, hit uh, our girl? Uh, we're about to get to that, because Michael Che, his response to Stephen Hyden was a series of Instagram posts where he basically called him a mediocre-ass white dude and suggested that he engages in bestiality. Okay. He's an asshole. Like, That's classic yeah. comedy rejoinder. Like, <laughs> I remember when he also was bullying some girl for reviewing something of his once, yeah. his stand-up show. It's like he is has the inability to just sit down and shut up. He's small and he sucks. Yeah. Also, it's just so funny that he and Colin Jost are constantly criticized for being smug and then they respond that way. It's like, okay, so we were right? <laughs> All right. Colin didn't even respond. Of course he didn't. He kept his white mouth shut. <laughs> That's why he's pretty. Okay. Anyway. uh, Enjoy the Hamptons. (laughs) Then there was Ariana Grande, Mm -hmm. who didn't even need to get involved, by the way. I'm always surprised when someone at her level jumps in. It's like, just go away. No one will care. She's young and and bored between tour stops, I guess. But um, on E's Nightly Pop... Shout out to Nina, who co-hosts that. Yes, yes. Um, But host Morgan Stewart ripped into Justin Bieber for his performance at the second weekend of Coachella, uh, accusing him of lip syncing when he joined Ariana Grande on the stage to sing Sorry. She said, I did not realize it was going to be that bad. He definitely looks like he put on an oxy pad on that forehead, but I don't care. That is fucked up. (laughs) <laughs> Which doesn't really make a lot of sense, but that's fine. On Wednesday, uh, Bieber responded to her on Twitter saying, Morgan Stewart just saw a video of you ripping me to shreds saying I was lip syncing. They played the song and I just sang over top of it. 
Regardless, why spend your time tearing people down? It's people like you that are bullies at school that are making kids suicidal. <laughs> imagine, Wait, I didn't see that. <laughs> imagine if you spent even half the time you spend laughing at other people's expenses, actually encouraging people how much positivity you could bring. Submit to me. I mean, listen. Kids are cu- killing themselves <laughs> because she said you were lip syncing. Shut the fuck up. It's the bully. I mean, like, I fu- first of all, I have a fundamental belief that adults cannot be bullied. Fight me on it. I, adults can't be bullied. So there's that. But just the- ask Mitt Romney. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the it's the like positivity thing that is so trite. I only hear dumb people saying it. Like you never hear smart people. Like we've just like everyone just needs to like be more positive and like the world. Like why can't we all just be positive? Because some of you people suck. That's why we can't all be positive. And he wasn't even like her. Her shit was clearly like a joke. Like whatever. Mm-hmm. He comes out. He sings the song. You're Justin Bieber. Who fucking cares? Truly, who cares? She's clearly looking for a laugh. And it's like, do you really, is this the sword you want to die on? Like you're like, okay, Coachella performance. Also, I love how you're all about positively now that you've joined this cult. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot about all of that situation. Because we remember the Justin Bieber before all of this, right. bitch. Like, you weren't all about positivity and loving people all the time. Right. You were an asshole. Hey, by right. the way, what's more depressing than the performance of constant positivity? Like, it's freakish. No human being is constantly positive that way. And by the way, like, I feel like any kind of music criticism, like literally like, oh, it seemed like you were lips lip syncing. Like, wouldn't you just take that to heart and be like, all right, maybe I shouldn't seem like that next time. I feel like that would help you in your career. I mean, the best response to people accusing you of lip syncing is to hold a press conference and right. sing live vocals like Hello. Beyonce did yes. and then ask any questions. Yes. Also, because Justin Bieber, you are a good singer. We know you're a good singer. So it's like, it's not like she's ruined your career. She hasn't like proven something like we know mm. you can sing. It's fine. Right. I will say about the Morgan thing that it does a little bit annoy me when people always try to comment about musicians lip syncing as if they don't understand the conditions in which most people have to sing over tracks. Um, It's different from, you know, watching Britney lip sync to someone singing over a track because they're in the middle of the fucking windy desert and and their vocals aren't going to sound good. They decided last minute. They were like, we literally made that decision like 15 minutes before he went on stage. So it's like, no, there wasn't time for a sound check. And Ariana was fine when all she said was, we decided to do this 10 minutes before my set started. We had zero sound check, zero rehearsal on Twitter. But then... She goes on saying, people are bored. People don't know how it feels to be under such scrutiny. The world was happy to have you on stage again. And then went on to talk about how she's tired of bloggers. Them blogs. Didn't she say them blogs? (laughs) Yes. First of all, (laughs) the insinuation that Morgan Stewart, who hosts a television (laughs) show, is a blogger. (laughs) I don't think she even knew who Justin was responding to. No, 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 no. Not at all. It 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 like <laughs> why? It's fine. It doesn't matter. Ariana, girl, them because blo- she also said something like they're bored and that's why they're blogging, which also doesn't make any like that's someone's job. Yeah, they get paid. Like, yes, they, right. Yeah, they're not. This isn't. They do that for money. They blog to pay their bills. You know? <laughs> also, I don't think anybody is denying that like the scrutiny of being a pop star or performing at Coachella, whatever, is like 
impossible to deal with. That said, that doesn't mean there shouldn't be scrutiny. You're a very highly paid entertainer and scrutiny of you is something that we need to make not just entertainment better, but like it makes it more valuable for everybody watching. Like we like criticism. Well, Rich, Rich Jezwiak wrote a really good piece for Jezebel and he talked about, I mean, like Lizzo's shit made no sense. Mm -hmm. And Olivia Munn's was like, that's the bonkers. worst to me. Yeah. Um, where she went after the fug girls. Right. So let's just explain those. Lizzo, in response to a review from Pitchfork for her new album. By Rawia, who's a great a black writer. Woman. A black woman. A accomplished music editor. <laughs> yes. Her new album, Because I Love You. Rawia gave her a 6.5. Which is also not always like... It's not necessarily just determined by the writer. Like, mm-hmm. it's, you know what I mean? Like, she wrote the review, and I, I'm pretty sure that she's not the only one who decided. Because sometimes you see some discrepancy with mm-hmm. Pitchfork between the ratings and the reviews. Right. And listen, Pitchfork does have a history of rating women lower than mm-hmm. they do men and rarely give them above an eight. However, you could have seen that a black woman wrote this. And the review is actually well-written and is a good critique and something that you should want someone delivering to an artist with their major label debut. Lizzo clearly only saw the 6.9 and wrote on Twitter, people who review albums and don't make music themselves should be unemployed. Which makes the least sense. First of all, how do you know she don't make music, girl? (laughs) Are you on her SoundCloud? (laughs) It's, I think the thing that I, and obviously like as a critic or former critic or whatever, like I take it more personally, but the thing that I find most obnoxious about all of these responses to like, quote unquote critics is like, do you think that that person isn't talented? You look at someone like Wesley Morris, you look at like Katie Weaver, you look at people who frankly are smarter than you, who are really good at what they do, who are excellent fucking writers, who know what they're doing, who have a craft, who have a skill. It's not music, but they're good at something else and they do their jobs very well. And to just like dismiss it like that to dismiss the work that they do and to act like they're not also out here creating shit Mm -hmm. is so obtuse it's so obtuse and small and silly and the shit with the blogs it's like that's just like dumb but when you're out here like people who sit down and thoughtfully try to assess your work like that's a real job. That's a real skill. And to act like they're less than you because they don't play the flute or whatever the fuck is ridiculous. <laughs> also, like, it's clearly vindictive to rally your very rabid fans mm-hmm. against basically, I don't want to say a random writer. They're obviously very talented, but it's just you're doing more than putting criticism back out into the world. You're like inciting these people to basically be harassed. So I just think that's uh, small is a really good word. for And it. that Scary was my too. problem with Olivia Munn, who critiqued the fuck girls, Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan, who run the website Go Fug Yourself, which is a fantastic website. I would call that and, one of the most important fashion blogs. It's fabulous. Not attack people. N- they're not mean spirited. They specifically don't like body shame. They specifically don't like make fun of people's appearance. They talk about the clothes, which, by the way, Olivia Munn, you didn't pick out your clothes, bitch. You didn't pick yeah. those clothes out. You pay someone to pick out your clothes, and now you're mad that that professional work someone does is being like assessed by another website. Right. She called the essay on a piece that she wore at the Apex for Youth Awards. Anti-feminist said that it contributes (laughs) to the perpetual minimization of women and propagates the idea that our worth is predominantly or singularly tied to our looks. And they should acknowledge the part they played in the suppression of women. Just because you're a woman doesn't mean you're not part of the problem. As you said, Kara, 
you are not going to Aeropostale and <laughs> buying your own outfit and wearing it on the red carpet. You have a designer, you have a stylist, you get clothes for free. Part of being on a red carpet raises celebrities' profiles. Yeah. You know, you're not allowed to come out here in fashion and try and get people to write about it and get you And then get mad things. when people write about it. Yeah, and then get mad when people critique you. Also, she really cracked open the thesaurus with that one, didn't she? Like, <laughs> Papa Gates. Yeah, I was like, girl, there was also at one point she said females and not men. I was like, oh, good writing. Like, this is like, and you're attacking these girls. Yeah, the Olivia Munn, I mean, Olivia Munn has a history of being a mean person. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go find all of her tweets, which everyone dug up. Um, and it's, again, it's like, she also the thing that I thought was so shitty she included a picture of them she did which you know she did that like to to be like oh they're not as pretty as me or you know what I mean mm-hmm. like, she meant that in a mean spirited way because that doesn't what they look like has nothing to do with what you're mad at them about because it's not even like you see them in an outfit it's like it's not even like oh you're talking about their clothes mm-hmm. too which is how you know it's just like it's it was petty also it's, just I don't want to say how about fashion is important and people talking about fashion in a knowledgeable way which to me is like the signature attribute of that site that they've been doing this for years that they know when a you know a, a celebrity really nails it they know they celebrate all types of bodies, whatever, to just roundly dismiss what they do as like some sort of anti-feminist thing is so fucking lazy. You clearly have never read this site before. It's been around since 2004, too. And the way she wrote about it, she clearly only knows the title. She called them not legitimate critics and said that their writing is neither good or beautiful. Honestly, fuck you. (laughs) Good nor beautiful? Okay. And it's another positivity. It's not not Jody Picard. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> that. And that's the thing that cuts to the Justin Bieber stuff, too. You know, this insistence that critics are bullying you right. is is weird. And then you turn around and sick your fan base on them. Right. And someone also tweeted at Lizzo. Uh, Do you think that the writers who liked your album should be unemployed? Because she didn't <laughs> say anything, and she didn't have yeah. anything to say about that. Right. Because that's the thing. They love it when. People love their work. They retweet that stuff all the time. And there's also just this idea that celebrities are now in this place where they think that most of their promotion comes from their fans anyway, Mm -hmm. you know, more so than back before when we were all like listening to albums and just sort of telling our friends about it. People tweet about their things. People tweet, you need to buy this album today. You need to listen to this. And so I think they've gotten so used to this echo chamber of my fans will do promotion for me for free. Right. I don't have to deal with any sort of actual criticism. Right. I mean, like, I think there's the larger issue of like the standship and that echo chamber of all of these people who aren't who just blindly love whatever you do, which like would make anyone delusional. Um, But then also it's like, if you think about like the profiles, like we've both written, for example, Mm -hmm. like you write on if you interview a celebrity now, like you might get a couple hours with them, mm-hmm. you might get a phone call. And it's because they also are starting to treat like magazines and publications like an extension of their PR team. Mm-hmm. And they don't give you much access. And you can tell in the quality of a lot of stories, which is not the fault of the writers. It's like, how deep can you go with someone when you get two hours with them in a fucking coffee shop? We're all basically doing versions of Frank Sinatra has a cold now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because 
I did a profile of Travis Scott for Mr. Porter that I did not speak to him for. Right. At all. Right. You know, and it had to be sort of about him and about the photo shoot. And it's celebrities think they could get away with that, you know, and then just get people to not want to comment on it. Lizzo Today has a new profile out in a magazine and the interview was done by Sam Smith. Right. right. It's like yeah. also you're not Who all Beyonce. You're not all Beyonce. Beyonce's <laughs> out here like I'm not giving you any interviews, but like the rest of y'all need to go talk to someone. But I think that has like and and what they do too is like they'll threaten the publication like, "Oh, well like I'm giving you 2 hours. If that's not good enough, then I'm not doing the cover." And I honestly think that I know it's a I know it's hard. I know if you're mm-hmm. an editor, it's like a very delicate game. But I wish you had more publications, sort of like that New Yorker piece with um Brett Ellis Ellison, whatever the Brett Ellis. Brett Ellis. Yeah. Ellis. Um, who the fuck cares? Um The with, House fell no, on one of them, him. yeah. His sister but was one mad of those about it. Where the publication was just like, No, you actually do need us. And yeah. this is a symbiotic relationship. And as much as you have social media now, you also do it means something to you to be on the cover of a magazine. Because if it didn't, you wouldn't have rolled your ass up to do this. And so Treating it like that and saying, no, if you want to be on the cover of this magazine, you give us a day to do an interview. You let our our writers actually do their job. Mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of doubt if you really called their bluff like that. A lot of them would be like, never mind. I don't want to be on the cover of GQ. Mm-hmm. I feel like they'd probably just like do the damn interview. Yeah. I want to recommend celebrities in general go to college and I'll tell you why. Because then you have to do bad theater that you maybe wrote and they'll be critiqued in the newspaper. And I had to do that. And I used to always get letters from people being like, "How uh, you don't make theater yourself. Not true. I often did at the time. Why? Why do you get to criticize me or whatever? I feel like this is something you should get over earlier in your career, that people are going to disagree with your intentions, that they're going to criticize you, whatever. And that it makes uh, uh, art better that it makes us more excited about it. I just want to say in general, one of my favorite things, if a movie comes out that I just saw, is reading literally every single review. I will go down Metacritic and go top to bottom, best to worst, even the uh, a contrarian run from Slant Magazine. I will read it. <laughs> you know, it's just like it's exciting to contribute to your own sensibility about a piece of art by looking at what other people have to say and shouting that down is so irresponsible and really, really upsets they, me. They should actually read. Like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be like, I want to engage with my critics, you should actually read everything. Mm-hmm. Because if you read if 15 reviews and two of them were bad, I think they would calm down. Yeah. I think it's like they read one and they freak out. And if you actually sat down and looked at all the coverage of you and actually like read the word, like the, the, the words that people are like considering and putting some effort into, into really like looking at your work and like taking the time to really evaluate it, which is like a huge compliment to you mm-hmm. that people take your work seriously enough to sit down and write about it and consider it. Um, I think that they might then their reactions to this might be a bit more measured, but that would involve them doing the work of reading shit. So. Well, yeah, either read all the reviews or like don't read or any. just don't really engage. Uh, because they always stick to those. And it also ignores the fact that as critics, we got critiqued all the time, too. Yeah. You know, uh, people were oh, everybody in gets every time you yeah. write about something. It's it's happening to everyone. It's basically the just social media makes it more readily accessible. And by the way, why are people so afraid seemingly of reading negative reviews? Like, what's the worst that can happen? You kind of agree with it. You know, it's like there's nothing wrong with failing a little bit. Sorry. You know, everybody is capable of doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's why I was loved thing reading notes on a native son over my uh vacation this week just because it was james baldwin critiquing richard wright you know there was there feel like there used to be more of a culture of artists critiquing other artists and now everyone is just sort of 
afraid to rock any sort of boat. I mean, I worked at MTV News when Chance the Rapper, I mean, that uh, was, yeah. you know, threatened to not do any of MTV's award shows because someone critiqued his tour on MTV News. You know, it's like, that's the sort of stuff we're dealing with. And I think people just need to get over it. Get over it. Relax. If you're an artist, you should like it. Sorry. That's how I feel. <laughs> uh, all right. When we're back, we're going to talk to Olivia Wilde. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire... Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have it always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. 
We are now here with Olivia Wilde, and I just want to say that I've been a stan for a while, and now you're making me stan even more with this movie. That Book makes smart. Me so happy. It's great. This uh, movie rules. I love this movie. Oh, you guys. Yeah. I love this movie too, but it really means a lot hearing it from people outside my own head. Your de- mm-hmm. directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Yes. How does yeah. that feel? It feels so good. It actually feels like I have found my voice. Like I I think I've always um, really loved being this business and telling stories and I love acting. I think it's so cathartic and it's fun. It's therapy, but it is very isolated. Is It's an isolating experience. I think some actors really like that. They kind of like to be in their own heads, like, like to be alone. I found that after growing up on set, spending 17 years on set, my joy came from the collaboration. Mm-hmm. I loved being behind the camera. I loved kind of working with all the department heads, learning about what they did. And the part where I had to go and like sit alone in my trailer was just sort of sad. And I was like, what is this process? Like we get creative for five minutes and then we're sent away. Like, can I stay where all the creativity <laughs> continues to happen? So I slowly realized like directing is where it's at for me. But I it I took a while to kind of gain the courage mm-hmm. and to kind of feel I was worth it because I didn't go to film school. So in my head, that was always kind of repeating in the back of my consciousness. Like, you didn't go to film school. You can't possibly direct. And then I realized, like, wait, I've grown up on set. Now I've shadowed so many great directors. Essentially, I have gone to my own kind of film school. And why do we do that to ourselves? We get in our own way of our dreams. Mm -hmm. We're like, I can't possibly have what I want. (laughs) Yeah, a thought a man has never had in in his life. Absolutely. Never once thought, oh, I didn't do this qualifying thing. Earn I can't it. do it. Yeah, please. Well, we're, I we're went like, to a mm. podcast school for 15 years. So <laughs> that is why I'm here. But it really like, <laughs> it is about finding your happy place and then realizing you deserve to be there. Like I started with a short film and then I started directing music videos and people who knew me who were on those sets were like, dude, I've never seen you so happy. This is what you're meant to do. And I do feel that it's like putting on a pair of shoes that actually fit for the first time. And you're like, oh, this is walking. <laughs> sorry. What have I been doing? <laughs> so I feel really good. I'm hooked. I want to do it a lot more. Do you know what's interesting to me watching this movie is it always kills me immediately, especially if it's an actor becoming a director, where the movie has a style all its own that I feel like, how how do you already have a style? Like, how do you come into, you know, a director? I think of like uh, Robert Redford and uh, uh, Ordinary People or something mm. where it's just like, it feels like you've been doing this for 30 years. How did you feel immediately able to settle into what you think is your own style as a director? Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably specific to the story I'm telling, right? So for Booksmart, I did have a really clear sense of the style that I thought that story called for. I wanted to make the experience of watching it feel close to the experience of being an adolescent, that kind of heightened reality. Whereas as as their kind of adventure is going on, things become more and more heightened and intense. And so I knew I wanted to kind of reflect that with colors. And I knew I wanted to go into kind of the internal world of the characters and be kind of impressionistic with it and use stop motion animation and all these oh my weird God, that things. Scene was amazing. <laughs> so, but I was like, because be, being a young person is crazy. Like the mm-hmm. the the experience of being inside your head when you are seventeen is so intense. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when we tell stories about teenagers, we forget that intensity and those high stakes, and it becomes kind of patronizing. And we tend to have this view of them being sort of quaint. Oh, they're young. Oh, how sweet that they care so much. It's like no, high school is war. Mm-hmm. Being young is super fucking hard, and I wanted to make a movie that felt visually like it was acknowledging that intensity. So I feel like I have a style 
in only in as much as I know what I like to see. And I think for this movie, I was like, I know what I would want to see here. I know what feels kind of like relevant to this story. And I also just like to flex and play with like cameras and lenses. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, let's have fun. Let's Speaking have fun. of high school. Yeah. You've been an important part of my life since high school. <gasps> You know I'm about to bring up the OC. Yes. Deep uh, cut, deep cut. I love that show. Uh, but I also loved you on Skins. Whoa. I Super feel, deep I feel, cut. Skin. I feel like I was one of the only people who watched that show. You were. It was but, just you. Yeah. We you know, knew you were out but there. Romeo and Juliet in the porn industry. Oh my who God. wouldn't want to watch that? You know what's crazy? <laughs> we shot the first scene. That was the first thing I ever did. It was a. It was like a terrible soap opera that was on primetime Fox, but mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. soapy. And it was um, Jerry Bruckheimer producing it. And it was uh, me and an actor named DJ Catrona playing like the Romeo and Juliet of my modern times and my father Ron Silver was a porn mogul <laughs> the head of like let's say like a vivid entertainment empire and his father was the district attorney of course and so natural you enemies can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was so intense because we it was my first thing Ever. I mean, I'd gotten my SAG card as like an extra on a movie that I was a casting assistant on. So this show was my first big break. And it was so bizarre. We shot the first scene at Mel's Diner in Hollywood. (laughs) And I remember sitting there and it was like an eating scene. And I had no idea how eating scenes worked. And I thought the actors actually ate all the food. So we were there for like nine hours and I ate like 40 pancakes, like 800 pieces of bacon. I was like, what is this? (laughs) But... Knew nothing, and it's it's weird. Every time I drive past that Mel's now, I think mm-hmm. about that girl in there in her first <laughs> scene, of first, like first show, and I'm like, oh man, I want to come and grab you and take you out of there. So from from it? that yeah. to nice for what? <laughs> yes, to yeah. a Drake video. Yes, to Drake's maybe maybe my favorite Drake song. Uh, I love that song. That song is so good. When I when they first sent it to me, they're like, hey, what do you think about being a part of this video? And I was like, well, the concept sounds really cool. I love that he wants to hand it over to all these women. Yeah. And I love the, you know, I read the lyrics and I was like, well, this is great. And then I played it and I was like, oh, I'm never turning it, it off. It almost, the thing is, it's like, it was very much Aubrey giving yes. the ladies what they wanted. And yes. I was like, I'm a little bit being pandered to, but oh. it worked. Exactly. It was like catnip. I was and like, then you saw the video and I was like, oh. And Karina Evans, who directed Who's that amazing. video. Who's amazing, yeah. 22 years old, mm-hmm. Wunderkind, genius, genius director. And she had also done God's Plan. She's done yeah. a bunch of his videos. But I loved being on her set mm-hmm. because she was empowered. And it was really cool, I think, that Drake handed it over to her and let her design this world. And it it really is a song that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. The idea of like, why? Why do we why? have to be so <laughs> <Yeah>. nice? <laughs> but it was amazing because... I showed up, they had, it was at this hotel downtown, they had the whole set ready, they had two Steadicams ready and up, and they were like, put on whatever you want to wear and just dance. And I was like, are you kidding? This is like <laughs> my dream. So you think of music video shoots being like 27 hours long. Mm-hmm. It was two hours for my part. You know, mm-hmm. there's several parts, but I walked in. I was like, I'll wear that ball gown and that hoodie and those J's. And I just danced for two hours. And they're like, cool, you're done. And I was like, this is the best <laughs> night of my life. That is perfect. It was, and I, I, I remember before the song came out and I had it, I would put my windows down in my car and mm-hmm. bump it really, really, really loud. And mm-hmm. I could feel people in other cars like, what is that song? Why don't I have that song? What is that song? Oh, yeah. That sounds like Drake. Mm. <laughs> It's like Lauren Hill and Drake. I need it. You were spoiling Drake for people. I was. I was like, ah. <laughs> but truly, one of the highlights of my career. No oh my joke. My gosh. Mm-hmm. 
because I just had so much fun and yeah. I finally got to be a video hoe. Also- that's really right. Like that's he, he the women that he made into like video vixens. Yes. I was like, it was so Drake where you're like, of course now Tracy Ellis Ross is like a video vixen. Yes. Like, I know. Like Rashida, and yeah. Lisa, yeah. Misty Copeland. Y- young Yara. Yara, my sweet Yara, who by the way, has been my little baby since we did this movie called Butter which nobody saw, but it's so funny. (laughs) And it's literally about a butter carving competition in Iowa. And it's Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner. Yes, I did see that. She's so great in it. And Yara is like nine years old. And the whole time- And the most beautiful nine-year-old on the planet. The most beautiful. So on that set, Jen and I would just stare at Yara and we were like, don't be creepy, don't be creepy, don't be creepy. (laughs) But I can't stop. She's so beautiful. And we knew then she would be president of the United States. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is still true. Do you really like working with sort of younger actors? I feel like they just really came alive in this movie. I mean- the leads alone, and also um, Lewis and I are friends with Noah Galvin. Oh and, um, my, no, I love him. So, so great much. seeing Austin yes, in this. Um, yes. He is one of the leads in the Netflix show I just finished writing. <gasps> He's so excited about Daybreak. Yes. It looks amazing. I've it seen is amazing. all the pictures He's great. of him hanging out. He plays out. a samurai. I love it. He is special. The day that Allison Jones called me, so she was our casting director. She's a genius. She has mm-hmm. cast every cast since like. Freaks and Geeks, um, Super Bad, Bridesmaids, Veep, The Office, like generations of comedians. And she called me and on a Sunday at 8.30 a.m. And she was like, you have to come here right now. And I was like, Allison, why are you working on a Sunday morning? She's like, because this kid is from NYU. He could only be here today. You got to come right now. So I drove over to her office in Silver Lake and walked in and met Austin Crute, who blew my mind. <laughs> he is so special. He's also a musician, of course. He is so talented. And I was like, that's it. He's got the role. We're rewriting the role for him. Oh, wow. wow. And uh, Noah Galvin was a very similar situation. It was an audition that was so good that I changed that role from a woman to a man. It's funny because oh. we're doing a lot of gender swapping mm-hmm. in the other direction too. But that was originally a theater duo that was a guy and a girl. And then I saw Noah's audition and I was like, he's too brilliant. I need him in this movie. I need his genius. And I thought, how great to have two guys running the theater department. And in a way, showing like two gay guys who we weren't really making a big deal out of like them being the mm-hmm. gay guys or whatever. And I just loved that it wasn't the typical like a girl and her gay friend. I was like, let's yeah. shake that up a little bit. Also, two gay guys in that theater department. I feel like me as a theater kid, like I really was gravitating no towards that. A theater kid who discovers his rage through Atlantis Morissette. Yes. <laughs> You're not allowed to be in my life. This much I, I feel like so much about Booksmart felt like. You like listen. I love a. I love a Riverdale. I love when like everyone is just like like the, it's the hottest town on earth. Right. And not that this cast is not also incredibly attractive, but they felt like teenagers. And it sort of feels like when a woman is in charge yes. and making decisions, it's like oh, you know what a teenage girl looks like. You yes. know what the teenage boys were like. I'm like oh, these were the dudes that like I was obsessed with. Like, yeah, you feel it, and it Me feels too. like kind of like the eye of of a of a female director. I I think so. I mean, I think that there was a group effort to hit that authenticity that was so important, but I really kept my eye on it. And it was everything from the wardrobe. For instance, you know, uh, Nico Haraga plays a character named Tanner. He's in real life a professional skater. He never acted mm-hmm. before, but he auditioned and was so special. Again, it's all about their essence. Like, I believe in rewriting towards the essence of these brilliant actors. So... Nico comes in. He's so special. He's like our Spicoli. Like, he's just so great. 
And at his fitting, he put on his overalls oh, the back. backwards. <laughs> and he's like, oh, man, I put these on backwards. And I was like, it's genius <laughs> and iconic. And that became his thing. So I wanted to let everyone have real creative ownership over these characters. And I think what you're sensing when you watch it is like they don't feel like they're playing roles. They don't feel like they're putting on costumes. They feel very much themselves. I mean, Victoria Ruesca plays Ryan. Mm-hmm. She's also a pro skater, yeah. never mm-hmm. acted before. She's like, uh, Liv, can I just wear my own fit? I was like, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> She's in her own clothes. Her All these great necklaces, it always feels really kind of iconic, I think, when people own a character and bring it really close to themselves, and it feels very specific. And again, that specificity is what, like, cuts through the, like, the social I mean, Billy fabric. Lord. Billy Lord. Mm-hmm. Is love every time she pops up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Billy is someone who was on my original vision board for this movie. When I when I pitched on this, I had a deck, and the casting page on a pitch deck is usually like fantasy casting, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, mm, sure, I'll just put these random people on here to get the Oprah. job. Mm-hmm. Oprah, of course. <laughs> right, yeah. And I had Beanie Feldstein, Caitlin Deaver, and Billy Lord on that deck. And they were my dream fantasy casts. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe I got three of them. That was really, really special. Billy... I knew she would understand what what made Gigi so interesting to me. Gigi mm-hmm. isn't just this um, kind of dumb, rich girl, which I think sometimes you see kind of overly simplified characters in so many stories. She's not just like dumb and flighty. She's eccentric and wild. She's also the most loyal person in the room. She's so interesting and fearless and... Fearlessness is what Billy has in common with Gigi, and she brought that to the screen. And I think it's electric to watch. I'm so inspired by her. You mentioned that you know what you like to see when you watch movies like this. For some reason, I feel particularly protective over like young performances that I think yes. are really good, really authentic. And do you have favorite ones that are constantly playing in your head? I mean, think of like Elsie Fisher in last year's eighth grade. Unbelievable. I was so blown away by her, and I thought, wow, she's being... She she's being so vulnerable because she's being made to feel safe. And I think Bo Burnham did a tremendous job in that film of really hitting that authenticity and clearly making everyone feel so supported that it, it, there was a kind of a realness to Elsie that doesn't happen when pushed, isn't can't be constructed. And I thought, wow, how brave of a young person. I think it often takes actors like 30 years to stop acting, like to realize that acting is about not acting mm. and to just relax and be in front of a camera. And there she was at, you know, however, she's like 14, 15. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She's super young. And there are incredibly emotional scenes in there and they all feel oh, so unpretentious. And that so, scene in the car. Yeah. Oh, my oh. God. Yes. But I, I am constantly inspired by young performances because I think, gosh, maybe that's before they're kind of like ruined (laughs) by the like artifice that they learn to wear in order to protect themselves from this business. Like maybe there's something really beautiful and vulnerable about catching people at this place where they still are fearless. Like Booksmart was full of young people who were just like open Mm -hmm. and they were just interested in like diving in and participating in a fearless way. Well, I want to ask, you know, because that is, you know, such a breadth of different teen characters just like in this movie and I brought it up before you know you were in one of the most like iconic teen TV shows of this sort of generation how did you feel you know sort of that experience being a younger person 
in a teen show that was very popular as opposed to, you know, sort of the atmosphere you wanted to create on set? Yes. Well, it's interesting because I joined the OC after they had become pretty successful. I think I came in like I just for one season, season two, I believe. Season two, but it was weird because season one, half of it debuted in the summer. Oh, yeah. Because I remember coming to school in the fall and football players were like, have you watched the OC? That's amazing. <laughs> God, it really just like struck a nerve, that show. But it was interesting because I came on and I didn't really understand the phenomenon it was or would become. And I was just like 19, just working, doing a shooting a movie called Alpha Dog on the weekends. And I was like going back and forth between these sets. And then it came out, my role was kind of revealed to the world, and it was the sensational storyline of, like, queer love between two teenage girls on this, like, American soap. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was like, I mean, this should be normal. Why is mm -hmm. it such a big deal? But people really either got riled up in a good way or riled up in a bad way. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, this is an important conversation. And then over the years, the significance of it became clear to me when people would come up to me on the street like still happens all the time and say, you, your role on that show helped me come out to my family, helped me feel comfortable with my friends and helped me understand that I could be this, like, I could, I could kind of own my sexuality in a comfortable way. I was like, whoa, that's an honor. Mm -hmm. um, the other day, a man stopped me on a plane and he's from Uganda. And he's like, hey, I grew up, I'm, I'm from Uganda. I grew up there. And the OC was a huge part of my life when I was little. I just want to thank you. And I was like, okay. This is amazing. <laughs> we have no idea how far these stories go. We have no idea how far these podcasts go. Like the ability to have a voice and to speak about things and actually have real conversations is so profound. And sometimes I think we in the entertainment world are like, blah, blah, blah. We're just right. telling stories, having fun. It's just work. It's just work. But once I realized the significance of what the OC had been for some people, I took my job of creating the world of Booksmart super seriously. And I was like, okay, we're going to tell a story that is largely about kindness. And mm -hmm. I, I just want that to be what we put out into the into the universe. Um, but the OC had a big like effect on me because I was like, oh, I now understand that something you may not realize to be super significant can mm -hmm. to others like really yeah. hit home in an important way. What do you want to say next? That's such a good question. Yeah. Well, Katie Silberman and I are writing another uh, movie. Um, this one's also a female two-hander, kind of at a, a comedy, but at a different point in, in their lives. Um, and I'm interested in relationship stories of different types. Like, I'm really curious about the way people interact. Familial relationships, platonic, romantic, like, that to me is is interesting stuff. Like, how we relate, the, kind of the stories we tell ourselves and others. Luckily, that exists in all genres. So right, right now, <laughs> I mean, I love everything. I love political thrillers. I love horror films. I love comedies. Mm. I love everything. So I'm just excited to get back into I it. I just want to say this. It feels like this generation of storytelling is really demystifying the idea that only romantic relationships are deep. Absolutely. You know. Yes. Mm. And it's funny because like society doesn't give us any context for experiencing or mourning platonic relationships. Like it's mm. we're all we're, there's so many songs about your like lover so many songs about romance and about breakups not that many songs about like when you're done with a friendship that's super mm -hmm. significant to you or you know people are leaving Booksmart and telling me that they laughed a lot but some of them feel sad because they're like man I haven't talked to that friend mm -hmm. from high school in 20 years or 15 years and feel kind of guilty and I feel like that person knew me better than my parents and I don't even know them anymore and I think there's something about this movie that's helping people kind of mourn that or celebrate it either way. 
But society, as you're saying, doesn't really acknowledge it. It's like, it's all about that romantic love. Mm -hmm. Put that before anything else. It's like your friendships are what keep you alive. Yeah. I cry the most over my friends. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. <Yes>. Uh, <laughs> uh, Olivia, thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy and I'm, honored. I, uh, I'm sad I didn't bring my season two box set for you, you know to sign. I'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Just join the show. I'm here. This is what I do. I've always been here. You just didn't notice that I was right here. Uh, we'll be right back. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. I don't know if you all remember that I was in London last week. Where is that? I've not heard of the city. Uh, it's in Laos. Oh, is that in Florida? Yeah. So I was entrenched in the royal family drama. Oh, were, were they texting you about it? <laughs> they were, <laughs> yeah. actually. Ira, come quick. <laughs> Kate was like, Ira, I simply must talk to you about what William is doing. <laughs> I didn't realize she was like an 80-year-old <laughs> library. I don't know. Yes. People there love my accent. They find it funny. Anyway, while Meghan Markle was readying to give birth, everyone is talking about this alleged affair that Prince William has been having. Everyone in America, mostly, because <laughs> reports from the Daily Beast said that Lawyers for Kensington Palace have sent letters to multiple publications about the affair story to not report on it, but they were doing that in the UK. So I didn't hear anybody. <laughs> they don't really have radar online's email. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really hear anybody talking about it. And then all of a sudden I'm looking on Twitter and I'm seeing people in America are tweeting about what's going on with this affair. Yeah. So they say that he had an affair with a woman with a ridiculous name and title. Like the a word I've never yeah. seen. In Rose life. of Hats but is it, her name. Rose Hanbury, no, but what's the Marchioness of Chalmondo. <laughs> that sounds like someone you run into on the Candyland board. Yeah, like okay, let's let's just assume this is a real person. I will do that. And there, she is like best friends supposedly with 
Kate Middleton. Mm-hmm. And that's how it happens. Yeah, and uh, and uh, William apparently they've been having an affair. <laughs> and the thing that's shitty about it is, and and this was honestly, I think it was like Nicole Cliff. This is all obviously like people speculating, mm-hmm. but allegedly, allegedly, as Star Jones but would say, there have been all these reports about how essentially Kate and Meghan Markle weren't getting along, and that there it's like why uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry like moved somewhere else, and that Meghan was being a diva, and like the and Kate didn't like each other, and that's why the two couples haven't been spending time together. What people are suggesting suggesting now is that Harry found out about the affair that William had is pissed and like he's the one that has sort of like tried to pull away from William. And then of course you blame the one black girl in the building. Right. There were some tabloids with photos of Megan looking angry going, you better stop cheating on Kate, William. And it's just like, imagine her fixing herself to get involved in their business. Right, exactly. She's also pregnant as shit. She's just like, why would she be dealing with this? Can I just say, I can't even picture Kate Middleton looking pissed. And now that I have to, it is disturbing to me. As you know, I believe she's the preeminent waiver and person who appears on doorsteps once every three years of our time. Well, so what's funny about it, too, is it's a big publicity blow to the royal family. I mean, whether or not the story is even true, it's they work so hard to maintain this perfect image. And that was the thing about why I wasn't seeing it in the papers there. They work so hard at making the papers just sort of report on what they want them yeah. to report about here and in touch. And <laughs> people like that were like, now we go write what the fuck we want to write. <laughs> There's a really good article. I'm suggesting another Jezebel article, but um, Kelly Faircloth wrote, who writes a lot about like the Royals and wrote about this idea of like the fidelity, like back in the day, the fidelity of the Royal marriage was important because if you had like the king fucking around, you have like illegitimate kids and like that messes with the the crown and whatever. And now it's just like it what it feels like. And I don't know, like I'm not a British person, but it feels like you have this family of these like inbred white people in a country that is increasingly not that. And they take up a lot of money like you they spend a lot of money they spend like your tax dollars and all of this they have all of this land they have all of this shit and if you don't like them it just seems like very easy to for things to get unstable with them mm-hmm. and so it's like you want to keep them in your good graces because like otherwise why the fuck are they here yeah and of course you would want to maintain this image of fidelity with you know the whole history of the royal family before that is just people getting murdered and beheaded and having multiple wives um i mean they have a new musical called the six about henry the eighth's six wives uh, oh. going up in london right now not it's, to mention the diana musical in la jolla yeah, right now it's their version there's of a Hamilton. princess diana musical there is yeah. oh yes. no in la jolla what is it about her life. She's singing? I think it's very... Is picture, it a musical? Yes. Picture mm-hmm. the television series Smash, but about Diana, I think is oh, what it no. is. Does she die in it? Uh, uh, I mean, I think it's the whole story. I think like uh, uh, Camilla Parker Bowles is actually portrayed oh. sympathetically. Which oh, is interesting. no. But also, yeah. I think something about this story is uh, every time there's the like gossip, song. <laughs> every time there's like gossip about the royal family, it, it just feels like a pale specter of like when Diana was there. Like, that was when it was, like, very exciting to think about the royal family. Everything since then has felt sort of like a sort of lame facsimile. They're just, like, normal-ish, kind of boring rich people who occasionally wear, you know, fine hats. Right. Megan's so-called scandals are 
barely scandalous. Benign. Yes, right. And it's really just the press being racist. So it doesn't really feel like there's any real drama going on. Even this affair sounds boring as fuck. No, they're, no because they're both, but like he's boring. Who wants to think about boring. William having sex? <laughs> right, exactly. Can I have a, here's my question about cheating scandals. Why in the history of like, Celebrity scandals involving cheating that why does the Jude Law Sienna Miller one loom so large? Why was that so gigantic? We know nothing about those people other than they cheated one time. Does it loom large? I feel I like, I feel like it's the definitive one. It's b- bigger than Brangelina. Yeah, that's what I mean, I was like say. around the yeah. same time, I guess Brangelina too. But literally, Sienna Miller, whenever I see a picture of her, I think, I thought you looked more like Naomi Watts. That's when what do you, you see look a like. a picture of her? That's what I'm saying occasionally. <laughs> yes. I saw her on stage and I still don't know what Sienna Miller was. That's what I'm talking like. about. She was an American sniper. Yeah, she was in After Miss Julie with Johnny Lee Miller. Oh, that's right. I do awful. love him. It was awful. Oh, that's too bad. They were just yelling at each other on a large stage. Did you watch American Sniper? I, I mean, I saw it in the. Th- I mean, I oh, watched all the like Oscars movies. I saw Ooh. American Sniper. God bless you. Child. Yeah. <laughs> but. Oh, wait, can I say Bradley my... Cooper's arms. Oh, no, of course. And the fake baby. Yeah. Um, my favorite response <laughs> to a cheating scandal ever. Does this? I was wondering if you could guess it immediately. Emma Thompson talking about how Kenneth Branagh cheated on her with Helena Bonham Carter, and she, obviously it rocked her world. It was horrible. But she goes, she she said, I believe it because we're both slightly mad and a bit fashion challenged. Perhaps that's why Ken loved us both. Pretty awesome. Anyway, they are both baddie dressers. I hope <laughs> you all let Megan have this baby. Stop dragging her into your white people nonsense. And that's my only hope for this cheating scandal. And Kate, I, the other thing is, like, she's not going to leave this man. Like, she sunk so much of her life into, like, being what's her duchess of, I don't know what they're, I don't know what she is. Cambridge. Yeah. Cambridge. She is in it to win she it. She is in okay? it. Okay? She gets dolled so up right after giving birth. Like, right. That's how so much that's, she is in it. That's also, like, even if, let's, even if he did cheat on her, it's like, she's not, the they're not getting divorced. So it's just like, oh, he sucks. Like, there's no, you know what I mean? You're like, oh, he's like his dad. You know, I think it's because Megan is sort of like, you know, if this don't work out, she could totally come back. And they were reboot suits for her. Listen, I know she's, (laughs) (laughs) didn't she have to give up her U.S. citizenship, though? We'll give it back to her. Trump will be gone by then, hopefully. I think they're probably still going through the process. Okay, so she's still got time. It takes a minute there. Yeah. I'm also just done in general being scandalized by cheating. You can't tell me, like, Prince George even cares. Can we get, like, one meme of him sipping something, like a sippy cup? Wouldn't that be cute? Gay cheating scandals don't really even exist in the gay world. (laughs) No, I know. They're like, oh, they're having fun. Imagine. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, When we're back, keep it. And we're back with an all-new Keep It. Lewis, what's your Keep It? Oh, you distracted me. You meant the Keep It within the Keep It. Uh, my Keep It this week, and this feels like jumping on the bandwagon, I is Taylor Swift's new single, Me. First of all, I think she would be better served if she took the exclamation point off it, because it's not really an exclamation point of a song. But um, it's the lead single off her upcoming album, I've never had this thought about Taylor Swift before. This is her first single to me that does not feel like a step forward for her. Like, I don't like Shake It Off, say, but you could see that was going to reel in some new listeners. That was going to get like the like the kids boppity boppers into what she was doing. Um, uh, what's interesting is about uh, she's the only artist I can think of who, if you don't like the lead single, there's still a significant chance you will like the album because for some reason it feels like whoever, whatever meeting she has about what the single is going to sound like, 
and what the album's going to sound like, those people never meet because they often have nothing to do with each other. Shake It Off does not sound like 1989. Uh, 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 the first single off, Red, which was Not I Knew You Were Trouble. It's, oh, we are never, ever getting back together. That doesn't sound like the rest of that album to me. So I think there's hope for the rest of the album. But the number one thing about that single that I uh, find unfortunate this is a 29-year-old woman still bemoaning the cool chicks. Guys, we are out of grad school now. We can't be concerned with the cool chicks anymore. Did she say that? Yeah, like, and there are a lot of cool chicks out there. Oh, no. Here's what I will say. Taylor Swift, queen, girl, you have done it again. <laughs> and doing it flawlessly. Listen, I actually like the song. I think it's okay. It just, it's, it is, to me, it feels like a fifth single and not a first single. I, you know, I love Panic at the Disco. Right. A He's lot. great. Uh, Brendan Urie is the best part of the song. Sorry. But I like this Panic at the Disco by way of Greatest Showman, by way of Duncan Sheik writing the music for American Psycho, the musical. It is very. Is that what it was? Okay. Yes. You know, it's, it's giving me all. <sighs> The flavor, you know? Well, in terms of Duncan Sheik, I am barely breathing at this airless song. <laughs> this, you know, Taylor Swift is not necessarily my thing. I like, you know, a few songs. But what I have what I will respect about her is that she is a very good songwriter. So when, like, the songwriting isn't good, I'm like, well, then what am I here for? <laughs> also, to me, this feels like, like the whole atmosphere of, like... Stop being with cool chicks. Start being with me. Feels very old to her. She did that when she eight years ago. The video where she you was belong like, with had, me. That drove me crazy. Yeah. You were a beautiful pop star. <laughs> you are six four, and you were out here. You're built like a supermodel, and you're like, oh, he's with the slutty girl or whatever it is. I was like, bitch, what are you doing? Like you, you're beautiful. Like I don't believe this. I don't believe that you're just like having trouble. This one dude can't see through your glasses to, well, to want to be with you. She didn't know that until One Direction told her that she doesn't know she's beautiful. That's oh exactly God. right. To me, this feels like her Lady Gaga art pop moment where she's trying to have a big new colorful moment but in fact it's a retread of the one thing we know she is capable of doing mm -hmm. uh i like sort of the aesthetic of it because it's my shtick but i will admit that the lyrics are very lazy even for her i mean the part where she's even like you know i'm can be a psycho on the phone when you call it's like we did that in blank space already girl Give right. me something new it felt like somebody else could have written that for her it felt like it was ghost written or something yeah this, you know what maybe she should have done she should have done a uh, Beyonce Sasha Fierce moment. This would have been a good time for an alter ego. Yeah. For her. But I feel like she tried to do that before with reputation where she was, I'm going to be a bad right, girl, but she yeah. didn't go far enough, even though I like that needs album. A, you need a new name. Yeah. Like you need to be like, I'm when Beyonce was like, I'm now Sasha Fierce. And we were like, okay, girl, she needs to just be different. Madam Swift. Yeah. She can wear an eye patch. <laughs> like credit yourself as that on the, on, on the album. Confederate General Taylor Swift. She should have licked Brendan Urie's toe. <laughs> <laughs> this is reference to Madonna's new persona, which is very toe-licky and Latin-oriented. She licked Maluma's toe. Okay. Girl, Every 10 I, years, Madonna comes here to announce she is almost Latina. I wish yeah. I could. That is a man. Okay. Anyway. That man, oh my God. No, the only fans hotness of him, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, where can I subscribe? Is everyone okay? Is everyone okay right now? <laughs> I am not. It's hot. Okay. <laughs> Kara, what is your keep it? Uh, my keep it is to a woman named Kim Mulkey. I think that's how we say it. Sounds um, like my English teacher from middle school. Does it? I don't think this is her, though. Those just sounds like names from Milwaukee. Right. <laughs> she is the head coach of the Baylor women's basketball team who won the national championship and were invited to the White House, which is already a shocker because Trump has stayed not really inviting 
the women's teams that win to the White House. And then, you know, any team with mostly black people were like, we don't want to go that shit either. So you've had the, the groupings of people that have showed up there have been weird. Um, but the women's basketball team went and you look at the picture of this team of young women, mostly black women who just look pissed like they're back there like mama right behind him is like looking at that hair just like trying to figure out the physics of it they all are just like why the fuck are we here also again they served fast food which I was they wondering. did before it was because they were the staff was furloughed it was a fucking government shutdown and they presumably everything is working fine the kitchen is there and they're like go get the Wendy's but, I was about to bring up that fast food thing because that's the last time there were the, some they black were there. athletes there who looked pissed the fuck off. Right. But so it she sort of the coach was like, you know, I've I've gone for every president when we won. Apparently, she's also said some sort of like problematic things in the past. But it just felt like this white coach being like, it's an honor for us to go. And it's Baylor. It's a school in the South. Like it's rather conservative. But it just felt like this white coach deciding that they were going and like dragging these black athletes there um, that I just like really didn't fuck with. And like she gives him, oh my God, she gave him like the jersey, you know, they give him the jersey and says Trump and he was something like, love those short sleeves. Like this man is, like his brain doesn't work. <laughs> love short sleeves on a basketball jersey. On a basketball jersey. jersey. Like every night his brain slides out of his ears and a aide has to come in with a funnel and shove it back in. Like the man is not well. Even even a yerk wouldn't crawl into that skull. Like no, wait, there is a chance that these women are like among the 6% of black women that voted for Trump. I think we're all being not was, very charitable I at all. That number sounds very high. I do. And it wasn't 6% who maybe didn't vote for, who maybe didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. I do not believe 6% voted for Trump. We got to get, we got to run the numbers on that. Cause I guarantee you it wasn't that high. Um, Candace Owens told me herself, Kara. Her. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I did it love that I thought uh, and it just clearly was like her decision none of them fucking wanted to be there eating their cold like Wendy's fries um, and this <laughs> just imagine having a conversation with him the idea of him listening to what you have to say especially if you're a black woman is just the joke of jokes also I'm like I'm sorry lady you brought a group of young women to a sexual predator <laughs> Like, that's right, what you did. That. You brought a group of, like, young college athletes to go meet someone who is, like, on tape as, like, a fucking sexual predator. So good good work. Yeah, she should go work in gymnastics. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> we all want to meet a man who stalks the corridor of the oh, Miss USA okay. pageant. <laughs> she knew who he is. She didn't care. She's sitting there grinning. I hate women like that. She also <laughs> said something like, I go, I've gone for every president. It's an honor to go to the White House. Not everyone gets to go to the White House. Girl, they have tours. A lot of people can't go to the White House. Mm -hmm. Also, how old are you? Every president? <laughs> also, were, when were you Kid up there seeing Truman? <laughs> when Kid Rock and Ted Nugent are going all the time, maybe it's not an honor. Exactly. <laughs> be more like Marx. Don't be a part of a club that would have you. There we, uh, is that, uh, I think that's Woody Allen. Is it? Yeah. Well, well sorry. <laughs> even even I'm supporting a molester. Okay. <laughs> My keep it. Yes. I want to say. Is it to us? The nerve of the both of you. Yeah, oh, I knew it. <laughs> to talk about Marvel while I am gone. <laughs> what were we? Kelly had just seen the movie. Yeah. What were we gonna do? Act like the world had stopped spinning? I, I cried during that movie multiple times. Oh, that's what you're okay? mad about. I cried i bawled because That's elizabeth not, olsen isn't doing cooler work is that why no i'm kidding <laughs> i mean no <laughs> i cried for chris evans i cried 
I cried during the Spider-Man Homecoming trailer that came on before You it. know this is recorded. People can hear this. I know. Okay. I cried during Game of Thrones, too. Okay. Listen, all I'm saying is I care about these characters. I've cared about them in a film for a decade. I've cared about them since I was, you know, a high school student walking a mile to my little comic book shop, you know, oh because oh, this you know, is so quaint. they were, oh, yeah. they, they were uh, my friends, uh-huh. you know? That's mm-hmm. why I have a Spider-Man oh tattoo. God, really? I oh love God. comics. Tell me more. Oh my God. I love this Norman Rockwell <laughs> painting you've described. <laughs> and first of all, you cry over a hippo in a zoo. <laughs> I didn't cry. Let's be very clear. And I sounded emotional. You know what I didn't do? Shed a tear. And and Lewis is always talking about some 70s comedian. Some reference always pops up like the tinosaurs. You, the and do I cry at can it? I, can I just, I want to defend something because there were like some annoying people on Twitter who did the same thing. It wasn't about someone crying at the movie. It was Kelly saying the movie had been on for 45 seconds and this woman is audibly sobbing. So let's operate in reality with the facts. It wasn't that she was shedding a tear at this movie that she loved quietly. She was loudly sobbing, gasping for air. Kelly is, she's disrupting moviegoers and the movie has been on for two minutes. That is crazy. No one said crying during the movie was was nuts. No one said that. We were talking about this very specific incident and that's to all you Twitter people too. So if you're going to talk about it, get your facts clear. I cried during the Star Wars theme music. That's you. I am very emotional. Were you loudly sobbing? Because this is, let's use the word, were you loudly sobbing? I haven't loudly sobbed since my father locked me in that closet. Thank Uh, you. Okay. Um, No, uh, here's the thing. It's not fun to like hate on superhero movies or whatever. Like all the classic gay Twitter rejoinders are old now too. Like if I'm like, my favorite superhero troupe is the movie Nine to Five. That's old. That's from 2012. We can't do that joke anymore. (laughs) So I don't mean to be a hater. That said, I mean, I just, it's not my thing. We weren't haters. First of all, yeah. we were like, why the fuck is this woman crying, loudly sobbing from the jump? It sounds like maybe she had some other shit going on. And two, my other complaint was that it was too long, which I stand by forever and ever and ever and ever. I don't care. That movie's too fucking long. Also, some versions of the praise on Twitter are a little excessive. I saw one where each individual actor was thanked. If you write down the words, thank you, Jeremy Renner, think about your <laughs> life. Think about it closely. Listen. He is a spokesperson for Remy Martin at the moment. And oh, okay. Maybe you want to thank him for that. It's oh, what very is, good liqueur. He's a saint. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I will admit that some of the people jump out the window with being overly praising me. Like, this is the greatest movie that was ever made. You've seen six movies. But, you know, people do that for a lot of things. Sure. You know? And we talk about them then, too. Right. You know, there are people who probably think that, I don't know. What, what, Listen, this fern you, is Ira, great. you had people who <laughs> cried during The Shape of Water and you were on about the lady fucking a fish. You know, and there were people that yeah. went and we you have served them their <laughs> what they deserved. And so this was just another instance of it. Everyone's mm-hmm. wrong and too emotional and loud. Wow. I <laughs> guess I long. feel like Cassandra. Suddenly, fate's eye is turned on me. I thought you meant Cassandra like um, Elvira. That's is her name. she a superhero? No, Cassandra from from the Greeks. So, which Marvel movie is that? <laughs> uh, well, actually, Hercules is an Avenger. Oh, never mind. I take it all back. I take it all back. I take you messed it all up back. this time. Well, that's our episode. <laughs> Whew. I think you'll be avenged next week, too. That's my guess. Thank you. Avenge me. I've fallen. We'll see you next week. <laughs> 
As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.